0: and welcome. Hopefully it's welcome back to USA Global TV and Radio. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck. I'm the president, founder, and chief listening officer here at our network, where we take listening skills very seriously. Our show today is The Power of Etiquette and Manners, and my wonderful friend and co-host, Mr. Philip Sykes, who is the principal of the British School of Excellence, has the day off. I'm super excited because we have a guest who's been with us before. I love when our guests come back and see us. I feel like that means we're doing something right. So I'm excited to, to welcome her back. It's Dr. Shandana. She's the CEO and country partner of the British School of Excellence Lahore in Pakistan. Let's welcome her to the program. Hello.
1: Hello, Dr. Jacqueline. How are you? Hi, I it's so nice to see you.
0: Yeah, for, absolutely. And I love your background, by the way. Where is that?
1: So that's uh, the one of the old Lahore uh, uh, mosques in the old Lahore city. So I live in the city of Lahore in Pakistan. So the province is Punjab, but the city is Lahore. And the city has a new side to it, which is the urban side. And then if you move on to the rural side, which was the old Lahore. So it's one of the very famous monuments over there. It's called the Shahi Mosque.
0: Very so
1: lovely. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you again
0: for being here. We had such a great discussion, the conversation the last time we were here. And we were talking about last time the work that you're doing to help people in the medical profession understand the power of etiquette and manners. And we shared some stories about, uh, at least I shared some stories about going to physician and what that was like and being feeling like I was not even a human being. I was just uh, like going to a big college or big university, for example, you're a social security number. You're just a number. And how do we actually personalize that experience in the healthcare industry? And you've had some advancements and some uh, updates since we saw you last. So tell us more about that.
1: Yeah. So um, I think last what we spoke about was I had just started this journey and um, the journey came from, um, from the phenomenal train the trainer course that I did with Philip and his team, um, obviously, and that really changed the way I uh, looked at life in general, and I looked at people and how I looked at myself. So um, I, because I work in the healthcare industry, and I really wanted to make a difference, a to my life, and then obviously to the people um, who are there in our industry. So we deal with uh, medical students and dental students, but we also have a nursing college and a college of allied health sciences, uh, where we train technicians and where we train nurses. Um, And I, um, upon because I interact with them on a daily basis, and I realized after uh, looking at the power of etiquettes and manners and generally life skills that most of us, we think we have, but we don't have. And I thought that, you know, they must have. They may be having academic skills. They may be having clinical skills because they go and practice those in the in a hospital setting. But they do, but they lack one thing, which is professionalism. And when you when you define professionalism, you could define many things in that one uh, definition or that one term. And um, in the medical and um, in the medical industry or the healthcare industry uh, generally, I think etiquettes and manners and life skills are so integral they're at the core of every relationship Um, especially when we talk about the relationship between a doctor and a patient or between let's say a nurse and a doctor or between a junior doctor and a senior doctor and i thought that you know the more and more i interacted with these students or even with the professionals who are at the pinnacle of their career maybe a a professor that you're talking about i realized that you know there's something missing and um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have any qualms if I say that, you know, we as a nation, we are very hospitable. So if you happen to come to Pakistan, we would say that, you know, you would not find any uh, larger hospitability as compared to um, us. But at the same time, we do lack in professionalism because that is something that you should be taught at, from a very young age when you're probably in school. And when you don't have that, when you don't, when you have no uh, education about etiquettes, how to behave, how to conduct yourself, how to build confidence, um, that thing keeps on persisting and you you live with that in your everyday life. And I realized that, you know, even if it's a bright student that I'm looking at, even if it's a, if it's a senior doctor I'm looking at, they lack that one thing, which is etiquettes and manners and generally life skills that we all must have. So that led me to... Um, That led me to the the, basically the vision that I want to set up something that would make me help people change their lives and become a better version of themselves. And that's led to um, the setup of the British School of Excellence in Lahore, in my city, and I started off with the responsibility of uh, training medical students, dental students, nurses, and allied health workers. So I'm very passionate about doing this because I feel um, that only when we know how to behave and only when we know how to how to feel what the other person is going through, how to be empathetic, which is a very big quality to have, how to be compassionate, uh, only then we can differentiate ourselves um, in, the, in the healthcare industry. Um, I also believe that um, I'm sure the rates are much much less as compared to Pakistan. Um, so in Pakistan, nearly we have 150 students every year, and that's just one college that I'm talking about, and that's a private college. So if I say nearly maybe 60,000 students maybe dec- becoming doctors every year, but how many of them are different? How many of them would we want to go back to And those are only the doctors that we say are good doctors that set themselves apart in terms of their professionalism, that have good listening skills, that have good communication skills, that have good etiquettes, that know how to to understand what the patient is going through, what the patient is feeling, and what is it required? Maybe it just requires a simple conversation or maybe a 15-minute conversation with the patient to calm him down, to make him feel better, but nowadays I've seen that you know, um, whenever we go to a doctor, I've experienced this firsthand, whenever we go to a doctor, um, it's just, hello, my name is this. What symptoms are you experiencing? Okay, this is the medicine that you take. Okay, next patient. So we don't let that relationship develop. We, we treat, so if I may say healthcare, as long as if I talk about Pakistan, it has become a very commercial entity. It has become a commercial activity where the goal is not to treat human lives or to save human lives. The goal has now to become how to earn money. How can we earn money? So this is one thing that I that that I want to change. And I want to put this at the front of the healthcare industry, this goal. That the first thing, if you're becoming a doctor or a dentist or a nurse the first thing in this profession is you have a huge responsibility of dealing with human lives some human life is in your hands you can give it away or you can take it uh, so that's my goal and i hope that with the british school of excellence lahore i can um, i can achieve that now um, the second question that you were asking about what developments have i made uh, additionally um in so what I've done is that um, the MBBS program, which is the medical program here in Pakistan, is of five years. We call it we call it the MBBS program. So the students come in and they study for five years. And the sixth year is their foundation year, which we call the house job. And in that year, they do the clinical skills and the training, and they're able to interact with the patients. But uh, starting from the third year itself, they're able to observe in the hospital setting. So what I've done is that I have introduced a module for all five years. And, um, so I've set it up in a way that, you know, um, in the first year, it's going to be the power of etiquettes and manners, but not just general etiquettes. So we've, we've made, and we've, um, built etiquettes and manners around the medical and dental, um, side. So, um, Yes, you may have social skills, but how is it what social sk- how social skills would be different when you're interacting with let's say a patient if you're a dentist and you have to check his mouth and you have to check his teeth So what etiquettes would be there specifically in in case of a, uh, in case of a dentist or in case of a uh, in case of a medical doctor, let's say if he has to check blood pressure of a patient are you going to ask him or are you going to let him know? that, um, hello, sir, Um, now I'm going to check your blood pressure. This is going to help us monitor this. And uh, if you allow, can I do that? Can I say, I'm going to take your arm and put this band on the side and then monitor your blood pressure? So little things. And then uh, in the second year, what we plan to do is that we need to, uh, we plan to advance or complement the same skills but with regards to the status of the student and what he actually needs in that year. So the second year um, I have developed um, a content regarding international care standards and what it is to to note or what it is to uh, know and what is important in terms of when we talk about caring for the sick or caring for the patient. And in it I've also talked about bedside manners, I've also talked about um uh, how care standards in pakistan versus on the international side globally they're different and what aspects you need to take into account if you really have to be if you really need to give uh care from a holistic perspective which is compassionate as well as professional and obviously you you have the right skills um in the third year so we talk about ethics compassion um ethics and diversity uh, um i think that is one most important thing that I feel uh, people generally in Pakistan, they lack, and especially doctors, because over a period of time, they have become so insensitive uh, by looking at blood, by looking at patients, by looking at deaths, that uh, it is it is so important to deal with each human life or each patient as if you're dealing with him for the first time in your life or in your, in your whole medical career. Um, so ethics and compassion are so important. Then uh, another uh, thing which I believe in Pakistani context is very important is inclusivity. Inclusivity and diversity, whether you talk about diversity and inclusivity at the workplace or whether you talk about diversity and inclusivity on the patient front. It is so important to treat everybody as if they're equal. And I will um, narrate an example on that, uh, which I recently experienced um, three days ago. And I realized that you know it is so important to have these things in place and to teach them uh, while they are at it. So while they are students, you teach them that you know it's so important to treat everybody equally. Then in the four, in the um, fourth year, we go on to communication skills because that's the time where the child the student is about to enter the practical world or about to enter the hospital setting where he would be required to interact with the patient and um, talk to the patient. Um, or talk to his attendants or his family. So we introduce communication skills and how to be a good listener. And then we also introduce um, skills like um, how to uh, present, how to present yourself, and how to set yourself apart. And the final year is going to be um, is going to be how to build your personal brand. So the final year students are going to learn about how to build your CV, how to build your personal brand, how to market yourself and to set yourself apart as a medical doctor. Because you are graduating in a class of 150 students, how many of you are going to uh, make a name for yourself, which is how many of you are going to be different and how many of you are going to make an identity for yourself, which is unique. So building your personal brand, what aspects are going to be involved in it, and then um, and then also one of the things that we've included is how to prepare for specialization tracks. So once we have all these things in place, then we encourage them to apply. Because most of the students who want to go abroad for specialization, they, um, they either want to go to the U.S. In, ca- in that case, they appear for USMLE, which is the exam for, for the U.S. specialization, or they appear for their PLAB, which is the U.K. exam. So we um, or if they want to stay in Pakistan, then it's the FCPS which is the Pakistani track for specialization. So uh, what we've done is that we have introduced um, these three specialization tracks and we help students get prepared for this. And um, once they're prepared for it, we help them apply for it and we help them appear for the exams. And also we help them uh, get observerships abroad. So uh, the goal is that, you know, um, just learning about these things such as communication skills and etiquettes and this, that and the other is one thing, but then experiencing it in an an international setting once the students go abroad is something totally different because experience, there's no teacher as good as experience. So um, that's the plan. But obviously having said that, I also know that the healthcare industry is so dynamic. And so um, you have to be, at, at your fingertips with respect to these modules, with respect to these courses. Um, and there are, some, there are some things that I really want to add, knowing that the students, they must know about these things. So, so um, to talk about a few, I've added modules on harassment. I've added modules about abuse. Um, abuse of, um, so one is substance abuse. The other one is um. Um, verbal abuse or physical abuse at the workplace which comes under harassment Uh, but uh, these are so important because I've seen uh, that it's always it's always in Pakistan I, I I'm not I haven't worked in the international market so I'm not sure what happens there but in Pakistan it's always somebody when you when you're working at two different levels and when you feel that the other person has authority over you or you're working for him uh, it's always that abuse or harassment tends to happen in that in that uh, context. So I want to um, enlighten the students with with uh, what independence they have. It's their life, and they always have a choice to say no. Um, so some of the modules are also going to are also going to be specific to what I feel um, should be taught to the students, and they should be trained uh, in that particular aspect. And then we'll go as uh, time takes us forward. Um, whatever whatever um, dynamic uh, trends there are out there in the healthcare market, obviously we would we would tap into them and uh, we would uh, ensure that we have something or the other um, developed to enlighten the students. Thank
0: you so much, and congratulations. That is a really robust uh, course offerings that you have there, and you've made a lot of great headway since we saw you, so very exciting. We have a a comment from one of our viewers, which I'm going to put up, and it's actually in alignment with something I was thinking too, and it seems like it's a a two-way street. So when we go see someone in the medical industry, we are usually complaining about something, right? We don't feel well or we're worried about something, and I don't know how often we actually are thanking these wonderful people who have our lives in their hands and and giving us the direction of what it is we need to do. So I think as a patient, it's important to have etiquette and manners also, and to thank the the healthcare professionals for the work that they do. And then at the same time, I feel like they're especially. Coming through the pandemic, there's so much pressure on people in the healthcare industry that they have to keep over turning over patients one after another, and it's got to be emotionally exhausting to to be in that position where you're you're trying to do the best for the patient, but you only have a certain window of time because of insurance or whatever the case may be, the, the caseload for the day. Let me pull up the the comment and have you address it if you would. Hi, Tarek, nice to have you with us. Um, he writes, excellent approach, but there are other factors that should be considered and possibly altered accordingly, like how many patients a doctor or an RN could see, how many hospitals within the area, how many public or private hospitals. Now, obviously, um, that's, a, that's a big question, right? That's a global question. That's
1: a question that's probably bigger than either one
0: of us. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, thank you, Tarek. I'm, I'm not sure if I've um, uh, pronounced your name correctly, but thank you so much for that question. Um, I uh, just want to add um, one thing over there. When you talk about um, how many patients uh, to a doctor or how many patients in a public or a private hospital, um, I if I talk about Pakistan, um, there is no restriction to the number of patients that can come in if when we talk about OPD, so outdoor patient department, where we where the patient is coming with a certain uh, complaint and the doctor checks him, the consultant checks him and then prescribes some medicines or tests. And then the patient leaves with the medicines and the tests only when the patient is admitted indoors. So, for example, if he has to have a surgery or if he has to have um, a, a, a certain if he has complications or needs to be admitted, let's say if you are suffering from Uh, meningitis you need to be admitted in the hospital for for a few days because obviously you wouldn't be you would need to get injectables so only at that time uh, it actually depends on the hospital's capacity and the bed capacity so it's never um, it's never about the doctor because the doctor is always there to look after the patients and um, how a private or a public hospital they're always operating with a team of doctors so it's never the case that um so many patients to a doctor, and then the doctor is set free. So the doctor is free to go. That doesn't happen. If I talk about very, um, very, very uh, like departments or let's say um, professions in the healthcare industry that are um, that have high patient turnovers, such as gynecology, um, such as pediatrics, are um, over there, and people choose the doctors as profession, they choose this field because they really want to be in this field. But the duty hours or the patient turnover, there is no day, there is no night. Even if even if you have to go at midnight for a delivery, you have to because the patient needs you at that time. So you can't say that, oh, I would like to sleep right now and I will treat you in the morning because that doesn't happen. Uh, so essentially, yes there are other factors that should be considered and as dr jacqueline said that you know we always talk about how the doctor should behave with the patient but yes there is the other side of the coin um how the patients must behave with the doctor and obviously if the patient um there 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 are customers of every sort and there are patients of every sort that come in some patients come in uh with uh, a frame of mind that you know we are the only ones in the hospital, and all the attention should come to us. So those are the fussy patients. Uh, but obviously you can't you can't do that because you have so many other patients to look at, and you have so many uh, you have to attend to them equally, and you have to give them equal attention. So um, in that in that when, when you get a fussy patient like that, then you have other people like other staff members to look at, look after them to make sure that they're calm, to make sure that the issues that they address are handled. But then at the end of the day, it's on the patient as well. After all that experience, he would still say, no, that doctor is not good. And sometimes um, it's so, it's so sad that I've seen that some doctors, they try out their level best to save the patient, to do the maximum that they can. But at the end of the day, they aren't able to save a life. It's not because they didn't want to. It's because they weren't able to. It's because of a scientific or a medical reason rather than a personal reason. But what the patient does is that he always ends up blaming either the doctor or the hospital or the staff. And in those situations, obviously, you can't... um, Because the patient doesn't have all that information and the patient doesn't know about all the complications that went in and all the complications that were initially with the patient. So, uh, so many things are happening at one point in time, but yes, the patients, they fail to understand that the hospital's and the doctor's job, if they're doing it properly, is to save your uh, patient. It's not to tell you that the patient is no more so um, yes absolutely there are many factors uh, then there are also factors that um, i was thinking about um, i was thinking about a situation that you know we always talk about here especially in pakistan the the trend is now um, getting out there that we always talk about um, how to save how, how to treat a patient with with regards to a certain disease that he has so for example if he has fever yes we give him the medicine for fever but we don't uh, we, we we don't approach that particular uh, ailment with regards to other social factors so we don't address the social determinants of health per se uh, it could be that you know the living conditions of the patient are not uh, too good maybe his nutrition is not too good especially if you're talking about a context such as pakistan where um, if we talk about, let's say, children, most children, they die or they 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 fall sick because of malnutrition. So um, there are so many other social factors playing a part. Uh, somebody may be a chain smoker and thus has lung disease, but we treat the disease, but we don't address the social factors that helped cause the disease in the first place. So um, I, I believe that, you know, uh, we also, when I talk about these training, uh, trainings and coaching, we also need to address that Doctors also need to be health advocates at some point. They also need to advocate for the things that they really feel strongly about. Um, and they also need to they also need to ensure the well-being of the patient other than what they're treating at hand. So today, I can come to you for, for an issue with my lungs. But if you're only going to treat that and not address the underlying issue, not help me understand what is causing that, um, then probably you're doing half the good to me um, because, uh, doctors are not i believe doctors do not actually should not treat the disease but they should heal the soul they should heal the patient they should heal the human life uh, so that's very important um yeah great
0: answer thank you so much Tarek uh, you can let us know if you have any follow-up question but thank you again for engaging with us so doctor you mentioned at the very beginning and and i know you were focused on Pakistan there, um, that doctors are in the business in some cases to make money, that it's about money and and how you can um, see as many patients as possible. And I know here in the States, I'm not a medical doctor, but I know at some point years ago, the amount of money that physicians could make and they were making has definitely been cut and it's not the same. So um, can you address the fact uh, when someone goes into the medical industry there, what type of income could they earn?
1: Ah, um, Dr. Jacqueline, that's a very good question. But so it depends on what level you are starting at. So, for example, when a medical student, um, he or she would graduate. And if he um, when they're in the foundation year where they're uh, where, where they're just entering the practical world um, in Pakistan, probably they would they would earn 70,000, maybe 70,000 rupees, which is which amounts to. How many dollars let me um just do a quick calculation for you um so that would amount to round about uh three hundred dollars they would earn three hundred dollars per month so that's the foundation year but then some people choose to remain there some people who have um who have goals and who want to Uh, specialize, they start preparing for their exams. So each of the specialization tracks that I've talked about, um, they have a certain route. So you need to fulfill certain criteria before you become a full-fledged consultant or a specialist. So um, for example, if we talk about the Pakistani track, then uh, there would be uh, they would prepare for first part of the exam then they would do residency for four years that is they have to practice under the under supervision for four years and then they prepare for the second exam and then they complete the specialization track right um but and as you go along obviously your your income would increase but only slightly it would only increase more after you have finished the specialization track but what happens is that um, Again, because I'm only going to restrict myself to the Pakistani context because I know more about it. Uh, When we say that doctors are more concerned about money, um, again, there are social factors playing a part in it. So if I'm the only person um, bringing an income for my household, and if I'm in the foundation year, and if I I earn a, a limited income, let's say $300, I wouldn't be able to support my family or I wouldn't be able to afford the living costs with that amount of income. So what they do is that they take up jobs, part-time jobs elsewhere. They do job at one place and then they pick up another odd job at another place or they start picking up um, informal ways of earning money. So for example, giving uh, tuitions or giving lectures uh, to med school students per se to help them prepare for their uh, annual examinations, so on and so forth. But when we talk about how uh, they earn an extra amount of money or how the healthcare industry has become more commercialized, it's about how many patients they can check in in one slot. So, for example, when you talk about private practice and if you go to a doctor who's a very well-known doctor um, and um, he would have a slot from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. and he would check around, maybe on, on a good day, he would check around even... 50 patients that day in that 2 hour slot so how much time are you giving to that patient if you give him proper time so for example i remember i think i mentioned it in the, in our last um, in our last uh, interaction as well that um, uh, my father went to a very good doctor and the only difference why we said he was a good doctor was he spent all his time in not checking my father but but listening to him so he spent one hour listening to him and all what my dad had to talk about about his previous history of ailments about what he likes what he dislikes and he had follow-up questions and um, it was so nice at the end of the conversation at the end of that interaction it was so nice that we so we had probably met a doctor with the same skills as him but we we said that you know this is perhaps the best doctor that we have met because he spent one hour he could have checked 10 patients in that one hour but he gave one whole hour to one patient so ensuring that nothing in that interaction is 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 getting missed out nothing in no information is being left out so he has ample time to assimilate all the information and then give his best opinion or recommendation about what to do next so that's what i say when i say that you know it's becoming more commercial then uh, one other thing that i want to uh, talk specifically about hospitals is that um I believe that hospitals, they operate only because their goal is to treat patients, regardless of whether that patient belongs to whatever socioeconomic income class, whether he's rich, he's poor, whether he is um, whether he is from an urban area or a rural area, whether he knows how to speak English or whatever language um, or whatever way he's dressed up. So we cannot discriminate on the basis of who comes into a hospital, because the basic job of a hospital, the responsibility is to treat patients. And anybody could be a patient, right? So um, I experienced this three days ago that um, I went with one of my friends, and she, um, one of the help uh, that she had at her house, her brother uh, fell sick. And immediately, so what was the issue was he, he vomited, and then he was unconscious and they took him to a nearby hospital because they didn't know what that hospital was what they would charge this that and the other so they took him to the hospital and the hospital um they called my friend and said that uh, we are doing cpr um so if we can save him um should we continue doing cpr or not and my friend didn't get that question and she said pardon me like you know what what is it that you want to ask and they said um We just want to ask that should we continue doing CPR or should we stop at some point? Um, Or should we like, you know, try other things uh, like putting him on a ventilator or something like that? And my friend was like, of course, you have to do everything to save that life. And they said um, they came around and said, "Um, we were asked. We were just asking because, you know, it's a private hospital. So we're not sure if if they will be able to afford uh, that amount of money or not. And my friend just lost it. She was like, um, she ran to the hospital and uh, she um, asked her husband to pay X, Y, Z amount of money. And later on, she spoke to that same doctor and said that, um, I really want to understand the, the the detailed explanation or the philosophy behind what you were telling me on, on, on my telephonic conversation. And he said that... Um, You know, it's a private hospital here. The trend is that first you have to deposit X, Y, Z amount of money before we can start the treatment. And it's a policy of the hospital. So we can't, we as doctors, obviously, we have to adhere to the policy. And it was so disturbing just because, um, and it was not like, you know, sometimes I think we have uh, inbuilt perceptions about the other person. So uh, nobody really, nobody really said anything when they entered the hospital. The help did not say that I work as uh, in a a helping capacity at somebody else's home or I cannot afford. Just by looking at the person, just by looking at the way he or she is dressed, just by looking at the skin color, we have inbuilt perceptions that, oh, they would be affording, they would be not affording. Um, And that is something so wrong. Um, And I just thought at that point that, you know, uh, most of the lives, perhaps they're lost just like that because we are continuously facing this um, ethical dilemma. And this is this is so unethical. Um, and we are continuously, as doctors, unable to decide. And we, we lose track of our main responsibility of, we lose track of what oath we took when we entered this medical profession as students. The first day when you enter the medical profession, the first day of your college, you have to take a medical oath, um, the Hippocratic Oath. And that says that you know I will not discriminate against any color, skin, race, this, that, or the other. But it's it's so amazing that you know over a period of time, and by living in the same society, by doing, by seeing um, wrong every day around us, we tend to do the same things. And that's what I say that you know a good doctor always sets himself or herself apart. So you're always able to identify that you know he is different, she is different.
0: Wow, that is an incredible story that you just shared. And, and I'm really glad that you did share that to bring that to light, that this is actually what goes on. And uh, if you can afford treatment or not, that's shocking. So doctor, in so many ways, your what you've put together, what you're uh, in partnership with, with the British School of Excellence is really life-changing. And doctors, nurses, whomever that takes the course, they can set themselves apart by doing this and obviously the patients are going to know that their colleagues are going to know that and it can be a ripple effect the more people taking your courses the more we're going to see change take place so tell us a little bit about the enrollment process and who is it available for and when
1: so what we've done uh, dr jacqueline is that um, um i think um i i'm not sure if i went over it in the in our last interaction but here in pakistan So we're moving towards an integrated curriculum um, in the medical and dental education. So what an integrated curriculum is um, that if you... Right now, what happens is that the students study one subject. So in the first year, when they come, they study anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry, and then they appear for the exams of these three subjects at the end of the year. And then they move on to the next year, they have different subjects and so on and so forth. An integrated curriculum, which is followed all across the world, um, is something that, you know, you, you take one body system at a time. So for example, if you're taking, talking about cardiovascular system, you would study it's anatomy, it's physiology, it's pharmacology, all what is related to that system, um, at the same time. So you integrate everything and you bring it together, which is very effective way of learning Uh, so that when you go on and practice this in the real world, you know, what, what factor is playing a part, um, in what capacity. So we are moving now in Pakistan. This is the first year that private medical and public medical colleges will be moving towards integrated curriculum. Uh, the governing bodies of healthcare institutions in Pakistan, uh, which is the Pakistan Medical and Dental Council, um, they have really emphasized World Federation of Medical Education, which is, which, which, the, which is the body or the accreditation institution, accreditation body for recognizing healthcare institutions all across the world. And WFME, World Federation of Medical Education, they have certain standards, um, certain standards with regards to medical education, certain standards with regards to hospitals, uh, if you want to gain recognition at the international level. And this is what they say that the dilemma in Pakistan is that the graduates um, who come out are not able to compete globally because um, A, we don't have the integrated curriculum, uh, although we emphasize more on academic skills and clinical skills but then the professional skills which includes being ethical being compassionate being a good communicator being a good leader being an active listener and having good etiquettes. that that bit is missing so when our graduates they go abroad and they compete in the international market obviously they don't come at par with other medical professionals so that's one thing um how we are going to take this on is that having said that. We want everybody to be at the same level, and once they graduate, or at the time that they're graduating, we want them to have those right tools that will make them um, that will make them operate with ease in any kind of social or professional situation, whether they stay in Pakistan, whether they move abroad. Um, so it will be really easy for them to gel in, whether they even if they go move to the international healthcare. Uh, sector. And even if they choose to stay in Pakistan, it will help them to set themselves apart. So we have made it mandatory for all the students in our campus. Um, Since we are just starting it off, and I cannot bifurcate the modules as per the year that the student is in, so I'm just going to offer basic etiquettes, manners, um, medical and dental etiquettes training to all the students in the first year, to all the nurses, to all the um, Allied health sciences uh, technicians, everybody. So basically, all the staff members, the staff nurses, medical students, dental students, and anybody else who wishes to embark on this transformational journey. So that's what we have done. If we make it optional, then you're creating um, then you're creating a distinction in your own institution. Half of the people will will know a certain uh, skill. Half of the people people will not know a certain skill. And uh, one of us, one of the Um, One other thing is that when they go into the foundation year, they always have a choice. Uh, So the preferred choice is that they do the foundation year from the institution that they've graduated from. Um, Or if they choose to go to another uh, hospital to do their foundation year, it is not going to be paid, A. Plus, they're not going to get as many marks for their specialization or for their degree as compared to if they do it from their own institution. So uh, having said that, most people prefer to do it from their own graduating institution. And when they do it, we can't have a distinction over there that, you know, half of the people, they got the training and the coaching, and they're interacting with our patients in a different way. And the other half is interacting with a different way. So when we make it universal across the institution, we would know that everybody knows about this, this content. Everybody has been equipped with the same tools. And now we can just emphasize on or enable them to practice these in their everyday life. So we're just offering it and making it mandatory for everybody, but one step at a time. So 1st probably we'll be medical students, then dental students and nurses, then stepping down to further and further. I love that approach. That makes a lot of sense. Um,
0: Thank you for sharing that with us. As we're coming to the end of the show, I would love for you to share a little bit about your experience with Philip Sykes, the principal of the British School of Excellence and the British School of Excellence overall for people who are new and maybe they haven't
1: watched the show before and they're just trying to understand what is the British School of Excellence? I'll take the last sentence that you just spoke. What is the British School of Excellence? I'll just... um... I'll just say one thing. Um, good manners open the doors that even the best education cannot. Um, I obtained a PhD degree, and uh, only when I went to Philip's course, um, I realized that perhaps PhD did not taught me, uh, teach me as much as this course. Um, it was only for five days, five full days. But um, I think it taught me skills, and it taught me lessons that perhaps um, even staying in England for six years, did not teach me. Um, so I believe that you know people who haven't experienced it um, will never know about it. It teaches you, it teaches you a lot about yourself, first of all. It teaches you because in our head we always think we have we have a we have self-perceptions as well. So we as human beings, we think that, oh, we know about this thing. We are better off than this pe- this person. Uh, we have attained a certain education in life. So we know everything. But we don't know about life and we don't know about how we treat others. And this course and British School of Excellence's philosophy is all about no matter what your age, no matter what your nationality, what, no matter what your education is, you always there, there's always room to become a better version of yourself. And there's always room to grow. And that's what Philip does to you. So no matter how much you think that, oh, I've, I've achieved it all and I'm at the pinnacle of my career and I don't need to learn anything else, that's where you go to Philips course and that's where you think that, um, that's where you really realize that, you know, this is the real, this is the real skill to have. So we talk about, we, we always talk about um, soft skills that, you know, soft skills are important and like, you know, you know, you should know how to communicate, you should know how to make eye contact. But I wouldn't call them soft skills. These are the hard skills now. No matter how educated you are, if you don't know how to interact with the, with, with other people, how if you don't understand how you are making them feel, if you um, do not have the right social skills, the right confidence, um, you education cannot make any difference. So um, Philip was Philip just transformed me as a person, and he. Philip and his entire team during that five-day course, it was just absolutely extraordinary. It was amazing. From um, the little things that we learned about how to shake hands. Um, if I talk about Pakistan, we normally don't shake hands. But like you know, so let's say if I say I don't shake hands with men, or if I do shake hands with men, how do I, how, what is, What's what's the proper handshake? And if I don't want to shake hands, then what's the proper way, a polite way, to say that I I'd, I'd rather not shake hands. You know, little things—how to make eye contact, um, how to enter somebody's door, how to exit somebody's door. uh, What are the what are the proper dining etiquettes? Like, obviously, we—I'm in the business industry, but then again, do I? I I never thought about these things. That you know, these are really the skills that one must have. And um, I, I really felt as if, like, you know, I've lost all those previous years of my life because I should have gotten this training. Uh, when I was a child, maybe, um, and we also learned about uh, kids' etiquettes and children etiquettes and teenagers' courses and like you know mannerism and uh, etiquettes and mindset, uh, all of those things. And I um, think that it is so so important for every single person because we're talking about building up a society, building up a community. If we only if we only invest in one person and and make him learn about these things, we are not making that much a difference. So that, yes, one person will have a will have a ripple effect. But think about the ripple effect that if we if 10, ten of us try and teach the same things to other people. So um, I feel as if this course has been a life changing course. And I would recommend this course to every single person, whether um, it's a kid, whether it's a teenager, whether it's a professional, in the business industry or in the corporate world, there's so many different modules that Philip and his team offer. And one of the modules that I would really recommend that most of us do not know about is emotional intelligence. We really don't know. We think IQ is the most important thing, but it's not. I think people who don't have emotional intelligence, um, they they don't even know about themselves, leave aside how to interact with other people. And uh, there's so many other things, like you know the power of listening, um, one of uh, one of the really good modules that british school of excellence Pakistan um, is offering is the power of the pen so how to write um what's what what's in it that you can write to someone what effect would would that have so um it, it's so amazing like you know you can change the way you look at things you can change the way you look at others and the way you look at yourself you feel good about yourself after you take phillips course that's that's a guarantee and you would feel as if that you really have set yourself apart from other people when you embark on this transformational journey. So yes, Philip and his entire team, British School of Excellence, um, they are really the world leaders when it comes to etiquette and life skill training.
0: What a fabulous testimonial. Thank you for sharing that. That is brilliant. Um, I know Philip and Leanne would be very happy to hear that. Uh, I want to share your website, if that's okay, show people uh, out in the audience. Would that be right with you? yeah sure okay let's take a look So i share my screen okay so doctor tell us um where we should be going where i should go here um
1: if you so if you scroll down if you go to uh, courses you would see the uh courses that are there so yeah so courses we have courses for adults and there's emotional intelligence what we talked about train the trainer is not offered by us because only um philip and it is offered in the headquarters so it's offered by philip and his team only so philip is the only person who can offer train the trainer course so if anybody wants to train themselves as etiquette consultants they would need to contact british school of excellence uk then we have etiquette courses for teenagers courses for children corporate etiquette is the business etiquette that i was discussing and now we because healthcare is the first market that i'm um, tapping upon in addition to these courses that we shall be offering so I'm going to add a section on health. So because, um, Dr. Lachlan, one thing that I would really like to say here is etiquettes are not restricted to any one industry. We really think that, you know, um, hospitality is particularly restricted to the restaurant industry or the food industry. It's not. Whatever industry you pick up, whether you pick up media, whether you pick up uh, healthcare or education, um, every or let's say beauty, fashion Etiquettes, manners, life skills—they're um, everywhere. They are—they—they are, they, they are a universal code of ethics that we need to practice um, to be to become the best version of ourselves. So, whatever industry you have, you need to have these in place first, and then you move on to the other things.
0: Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And I also want to just um, confirm what you said. I know in my education journey, I have my doctorate. There's so many things that I never learned. I never learned etiquette manners, listening skills, emotional intelligence, how to manage money. I mean, there's so many topics that are vitally important. And it's just great to know that the British School of Excellence and you and your team are offering these types of programs that really can be game changers, not just for for uh, earning income or how to do business, but as a human being, as a human being, how we show up in our everyday life by what it is that we can learn from you. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It's very exciting. How can people reach out to you? We do have your banner here, but for people who are listening on a radio station or a podcast, or they can't read, um, what is the best way
1: to contact you and who should reach out to you? Everybody who wants to reach out to me can do so either at my, uh, on my email address, which is shandana at British School of Excellence Lahore.com or via telephone. My number is 923458444812. With regards to who should reach out to me, I wouldn't say that I would really want to restrict people as to who should reach out to me. But particularly in this particular aspect, people who are looking into or who have, Relatives who are looking into getting etiquette, um, manners, and life skills training in Lahore um, should definitely are more than welcome to get in touch with me. Um, I consider myself as as having an open-door policy, and I love connecting with people. I love meeting people. So even if you have a query or anything to ask me outside of this, uh, you're more than welcome to um, get in touch with me, and I'd be I'd be really happy to help in whatever way I can. Fantastic!
0: Thank you so much, and you brought so much value today. I I learned a lot from you, so I really appreciate it. And I hope you'll come back and see us again. Let us know how things are going. Thank
1: you so much, Dr. Dr. Jacqueline, for inviting me, me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank
0: you. We'll see you again. Have a great rest of your weekend. Take care. Bye. Bye. And thanks to each and every one of you. Uh, in Philip's absence, I just want to share my screen again. And I want to go over to the British School of Excellence. Uh, this is the UK, um, the official site. And I just want to show you some of the things that are available. And again, Etiquette and Matters is for everyone. It's for everyone who cares about leading their life with respect with integrity and showing up with emotional intelligence you can become a coach you can take training Um, doctor was talking about train the trainer which is a five day full-on program one of the things that i have taken away from this opportunity to work with Philip and Leanne and their team there is the fact that they've built a community, a global community of people from all over the world who have done their research about where is the best organization, what organization is the one that i should take the time to get to know and become part of and the people that are graduates from the programs here at the british school of excellence are top-notch individuals you saw dr shindana everyone that graduates from their program is incredible person so that could be you you could be the next person that we're speaking to on this show so please do go over and take a look at the courses I've got a few minutes left, so let me just show you what they have here. Coming up next is The Polished Professional, uh, Train the Trainer, we mentioned. So these are two courses in January that right now you can get yourself involved and, and go ahead and make this part of your life. You can become an etiquette coach. You can take the information that you learn here. You can incorporate it in your daily life, in your business. You can train Uh, your members of your team, you can get them involved as well. So they've got a number of great events that are coming up, and I'm just very grateful for the opportunity to be able to share this space with the British School of Excellence. So thank you very much. Okay, one announcement that I have actually is I have a new book coming out. If you're not aware, I've uh, published two Amazon number one bestsellers, and that's in part because of my incredible book coach, Red O'Loughlin, whom I'm meeting right after this for the third book. So I just wanna show you what it looks like. This book is called The Amazing Adventures of Lady Ella, The Listening Mentor. And this book is part of an education series of seven books to teach children and their families elevated listening skills. And of course, Dr. Shandana mentioned The Power of Listening, that's the course Uh, program that I have developed in conjunction with Madeline Chan over in the UK. So these people you see here on the screen, they are all certified elevated listeners. We have a team here at USA Global TV and Radio, and the team is Elevated Listening. They've taken the Power of Listening course, and they are each represented on this book cover by one of the animals. So for example, Caroline Heward, she is the white owl. Tara, you see the owl up in the tree. Uh, Debbie Wilson, who's my sister, she's Belle the cow. So each of these people have taken the time to be part of this journey to teach children how to listen. Because if we have to wait until we're adults and undo everything that we've already learned, that's a much more difficult path. Doctor and I were just sharing the fact that you know, I didn't learn certain skills, even though I have a master's degree and a doctorate and a number of certifications, they don't teach us how to listen. So that's what our goal is here. I've co-authored this book with Mariska Duprier. She is over in New Zealand. She's great to work with. She's a transformation and leadership coach. So this book is available right now in a pre-order as an ebook. And then on the 14th of December, which is next week, it will be available in paperback as well as hardback. And we actually have a television show book launch to celebrate this. If you'd like to join our team and have these wonderful opportunities, please do. It's simple. All you have to do is take a two hour online course You get your certificate after you answer seven questions correctly, and then you become a team member here at USA Global TV and Radio. It's $39 instead of $257, and you can go over to drjacqueline.thinkific.com slash collections. We'd love to have you on our team. Thank you again. I really would appreciate it if you go over and pick up a copy of the book. You can pre-order The Amazing Adventures of Lady Ella. Just put in my name, Dr. Jacqueline Kerbeck, and it will come up. All right. We are signing off for now. Thank you so much to Dr. Shandana. Thank you so much to Philip Sykes. Thank you so much to Leanne and the whole team there at the British School of Excellence. We'll be back next week. Our next show is Talking Heads starring Dr. Madeline Chan. So do stay tuned for that. Bye for now.